Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. All right, welcome back. Episode 38 on A Few Good Physios. Today, we are honored to have a returning guest, Dr. Jordan Seda. He is a practicing physical therapist and a fellow business owner here in the city. He is going to talk to us about how his business is going, how physical therapy is going, and uh, the outlook of physical therapy during these times. Jordan, thank you and welcome back. Thank you, Jordan. I, I couldn't turn this opportunity down. I love Ooh. talking shop with you guys. I appreciate it, man. This is, this is a huge honor for us. We're very excited to have uh, individuals like yourself come on and, and, and chat with us. Yeah, it's um, been challenging times to say the least, but we wanted to see, get different perspectives and uh, yours is very, it's valued. Absolutely. So right off the bat, I mean, right now it is May 23rd. It's still locked down in New York City, technically. There's parts of New York City that are opening back up, or sorry, parts of New York that are opening back up in New York City will undergo the initial reopening phases soon. But physical therapist has been deemed essential, so a lot of practices um, have closed. A lot of practice, practices have remained open. How has your business been affected during COVID? Yeah, so this hit me at a really inopportune time. and I was buzzing the week that... Uh, gyms were shut down and I had a lot of in-person clients to see and unfortunately I wasn't able to carry out treatment for them. So I've switched everything to uh, virtual platforms to offer uh, advice on platforms like Zoom. And to be honest, I have to say, although I've lost a considerable amount of clients, those that have found value in my services before were at least willing to try to get some guidance virtually versus having no guidance at all. So although it has been a setback in terms of overall revenue and, and clients that I'm seeing per month, people are starting to see that there is some value in this method of healthcare delivery versus having no guidance whatsoever. Nice. Yeah, yeah we had, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Of the clients that you saw, that was it most of the clients were their previous uh, patients of yours, patients or clients? Yeah, there was some most, new business. So it, it started off being mostly old clients, but fast forward to, to now, a lot more of my business now is new new clients that have been either referred from other people or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pilot a bunch of new offerings right now. So in the midst of doing that, I'm allowing people an opportunity to have a free consultation with me to go through those offerings, which will, which has yielded to future visits. So it's good. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. Congrats, man. It's, um, it's a challenging time to stay motivated and have that kind of, um, adapt. Basically you're adapting very quickly. It sounds and, um, and seeing the positive of telehealth. It's one of those things where this is the hand that we've been dealt. A lot of things are out of our control. 
what the progression or regression of this disease is out of our control, the reactions of the general public or our future or past clients is totally out of our control. All we can do is determine how much effort we give to our businesses, to our families, to things that we enjoy. And that's all I've been focusing on right now. Well yeah. said, man. Well yeah, this, it's, it's so huge, I feel like. And we had uh, Luke Bongiorno on here talking a little bit about telehealth. And I, I think it's important to see this as an opportunity. It's not, again, to replace what we were doing before with in-person visits, but it's just an adaptation in trying to continue what we can do to help people. And I think that's such a great attitude to have because this will die down eventually and we'll get back to some sort of normal capacity, but it may be different. And so I feel like this skill being able to do online consultations and virtual consultations is big along with treatments and then maybe combining it with in-person. But I, I think this is kind of where the future is. Do you feel like physiotherapy, physical therapy, um, at least in the United States, because I know over in other countries, it was already different in terms of how people find physical therapists. But in the United States, do you feel like this will change things permanently and how we find physical therapy and how we do it? I do. And I think right now is an opportune time to change the, not necessarily change the definition of what physical therapy is, but helping people realize that it's not, it doesn't, no one said that it had to be going to a facility, sitting on a table, getting worked on, getting a few exercises and being sent home. Physical therapy encompasses quality advice from a medical professional, a healthcare professional, which can be given through virtual platforms. We can provide coaching. We can provide exercise guidelines and guidelines about other factors that affect performance and pain in people's lives. Like I know I focused a lot now on stress management, time management. Those are things that are not beyond the scope of our practice because they improve people's overall wellness. So coming at it from this larger biopsychosocially driven perspective, we can help transform the traditional view of physical therapy into, well, now this is wellness advice. This is an overall mind and body session versus I'm just going to get some hands put on me. I mean, it's a huge way to leverage our time. I mean, one of the biggest things we have as therapists is, um, you know, getting to the clinic, commuting. I, I think it's going to be a huge plus and I do see a lot of hybrid practices uh, evolving where people are going to do both. I mean, think of here in New York, a lot of our clients uh, that work in, in business of some sort tra travel a lot. And uh, it's a great way to kind of stay connected with everybody. It is an opportunity, though, Jordan. I like that mindset of it's, it's the time now that we could lay down the tracks for, um, again, this stream of income that wasn't normalized up until recently. Yeah, and I think the resistance might come from this perceived notion that virtual physical therapy is reduced quality. And it's, mm. it, you can make that argument in certain cases, like if someone had surgery and they, they would probably benefit from having some manual therapy being done. So in that case, I would agree. But for example, if someone had to see me maybe once in person and then we did virtual check-ins, which I, I call them virtual check-ins every week, just to review the exercise program, answer any questions they might have about their health and what they're doing with their lives. They can always pick and choose. Hey, you know, I think a, 
an in-person session is what I need right now, or you know what, I'm pretty good on my own right now, I'm doing the exercises. So if you give people options, you can leverage them at different costs and you can offer them the quality of service that fits their life the best. Yeah, well said. Physios have said this around the world where this, COVID-19 has really kind of fractured things. They fractured both health healthcare economy and, and, and every part of the world. And that is exposing a lot on one end where we're going to have to change how healthcare is de delivered as a whole, economically, physically, literally, things like that. But I think for physical therapy in, in general, there was a trend going up to this point in terms of how people are looking at best practices, best practices was heavily relying on education, heavily relying on activity modification, exercise, and less relying on things like manual therapy, although there are, there are situations where manual therapy is uh, beneficial, it's just not across the board. So I'd say this has been like an extra push for this best practices to be really emphasized and even real estate, right? So to do those non-best practices you had to have that physical space for those modalities, maybe for those high volume clinics that might be existing in a lesser extent. Now you hear all these uh, major companies right now are saying that they will permanently have their employees home working from home. Now, obviously this is not a tech company. We're not talking about tech companies or online companies right now, but that does change the real estate game because if there's all these places that are not going to be renting out space, it's going to cost differently now for, practices like physical therapy to go rent space. So that might be pushing us even further into something. If you're going to have a space, it better be utilized for quote best practices. And that might further expose other things. Do you feel that, you know, it's, it's going to be harder for like individuals like ourselves to find an actual space to, to do those in-person visits from now, or do you think that might settle down when COVID settles down? So I think it will, my answer is, I don't think it will be more difficult. I just think the type of space where we're going to seek, that we're going to seek out is going to be different than a standalone physical therapy clinic where I know I, I was working out of a, a gym called Catalyst Sport, which uh, you, you and Eric know very well. Mm -hmm. And they have a great model where they have, you know, treatment spaces that are per the hour, you, you pay the rental fee and you're able to access all the, the whole facility and use the things that you need but there's no, there's no monthly contract, no commitment. So you can come and go as you need. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship between the gym and me because I don't have overhead because right now if I had overhead, I would be suffering considerably mm. as a small business. So I do think there's opportunities to, and I think someone like uh, a company like WeWork has done such a good job in this respect in providing a, a communal space that you can purchase like a small cubicle or you can purchase a whole conference room depending on your needs, but that doesn't require a physical brick and mortar where you have, you're bound to a commercial lease in Manhattan, which is already just, even um, when things were good, it was awful. It's madness. <laughs> oh, I, I agree, you know, with Jordan, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, you look at a lot of these articles that are coming up and it hasn't hit us yet, but New York city commercial real estate is going to go, is going to get hit pretty hard. I think it's going to be easier to find space, but as you said, not traditional. Um, nobody, I mean, think of, you know, 
either of us uh, are in a position to say, yeah, I'm going to sign a 10 year lease hmm. and be able to cover 10 years in the event of your business going under. I mean, that's what you're signing off on with the 10 year lease or five year lease or two year lease. But I, I do see um, people do, having like hybrid practices and what you're mentioning of, of using the space that we treat. People are not going to want to be in a busy clinic with eight tables lined up next to one another and having that kind of crossover. I mean, the private room, it'll be risky for those two, but at least it's two and not 12. And I see that trend, you know, less, less about leasing and more about, you know, hourly and kind of these little co-ops, so to speak. Someone's going to have to take on the risk, though, to get the space as, you know, gentlemen, uh, a catalyst do going to be different. <laughs> but, but I think if you have other revenue streams, aside from depending on in-person visits, you'll yes. be able to sustain, at least stay afloat during crisis exactly. situations versus oh, sure. people who are 100% dependent on in-person contact. You're, you hit that on the head as well. I mean, I think we all should plan, you know, as, um, as business owners that this may and potentially will happen again, uh, possibly in the near future or sometime down the road, but keeping that overhead low and, uh, and more importantly, your debt, your debt and your, um, your overhead. It's going to be critical in this crazy, <laughs> crazy environment. No, so this, this kind of seg segues into something I think we've chatted about before in previous podcasts. I mean, we, we have this, I think Eric, you, you've kind of coined this, uh, this phrase in my opinion, but the old model <laughs> is dead kind of thing. And wow. It, this it, is even it's more so now. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to see this play out because I really, I, I, I truly see it and we're, you know, we're, we're at Toro college teaching now. And when, the, when we talk to these students, they're really interested in, in doing what you're doing, Jordan, which is having your own business, having more autonomy, being able to work with people, for as long as you want, not being reliant on, let's say, insurance reimbursement, so you're not limited in your care and things like that. But this whole idea of additional revenue stream, so like a traditional model, you're gonna, uh, so how someone finds physical therapy is they usually, like in the United States, they're gonna go see their doctor. They get injured, they go see their doctor, the doctor might write them a prescription, and then they go to physical therapy, or if they've had surgery, same kind of thing. They get a prescription for physical therapy. That's like the old traditional 1985 model go to physical therapy, the physical therapist looks at the doctor's orders, they do physical therapy, whatever that is, um, until like six to 12 weeks, what, whatever it is. But now, you know, with direct access um, and with, you know, more exposure to, let's say, social media platforms, you can find a quality physical therapist and rightfully go see them without the doctor, not in, a, not in a negative way, but just in a way that you have more access to them, but you may be paying out of pocket you may be paying cash, might be going to add a network, things like that. Now, if you go look, look back to those traditional models, how physical therapists were paid underneath those models were 1000% dependent on how many patients they saw. So there was no additional revenue streams in those traditional models. So this was a, a limitation that at least I've experienced. And I think it, we, we've all experienced it. We work for these traditional models. And when things, when seasons go by and we have lulls in patient care, then there's questions about salary, there's questions about revenue, then there's questions about how well you're doing as a physical therapist, but it's usually a normal seasonal thing. People go away on vacation, whatever, there's less volume. So this is even more so apparent because now we have a, a, you know, a pandemic 
And there's people who are not comfortable coming into a physical place. So they're not coming into physical therapy. Doing virtual visits is not common practice. So they don't know what that's like. So you're going to see less patients. So if there was additional revenue from the additional skills that we have uh, as physical therapists, such as building social media platforms, doing virtual exercise classes, doing holistic things like uh, coaching about general wellness, that could kind of eliminate this old model even further where new models are being derived and we're having additional revenue practice, uh, sorry, um, patient visits and then combining all of those and actually getting a little bit more busy in my opinion, because that's, I think the future, we shouldn't just be dependent on just patient visits because then that's setting up for, well, if you don't see a patient, then you're not going to get reimbursed. You're not going to um, get paid. So do you feel like there's might be a, you know, a, a really firm new model that, that people are going to be looking to form, especially like in school, even out of, right out of school? I mean, people might want to form that right out of school, but I think we all know that money is an issue and to go full force from school to going down this path isn't exactly easy. Although it is possible, it's certainly not easy. And even at this point in my career, it's not, I'm putting in the work to adapt to the times and find ways to offer higher quality services to people during this time. So it, yes, I think people will seek to change the typical model of physical therapy, but it does come with a lot of hard work, a lot of trial and error, and it, it just doesn't happen overnight. So I think for me, I think the traditional model is starting to come to an end, but for certain people, for example, I think there's a certain demographic where they don't see any value in this type of service whatsoever, or maybe they're not technically savvy or don't, their, their lifestyles right now are very conducive to getting hands-on treatment, taking medication, not really, they haven't really become active participants in their own recovery. So therefore they're married more towards the traditional model of healthcare versus younger people. Not to say that older people don't fit into this demographic. I'm not trying to set that divide, but it's these people that are on Instagram and they see people like myself out there saying, oh, wait a minute, this, is, this isn't exactly what I'm used to, but you're doing really high, highly complex movements and you're talking about how pain is modified by many different factors. So they're not so reliant on hands-on treatment. And I've gotten inquiries from people in other states and even across the pond in the UK that are interested to learn more about what I'm talking about. It's the reach is just incredible. And what we can offer people doesn't have to be confined to the greater New York City metro area. I agree with you, Jordan. I think there is like a demographic that does want to get in. I mean, look, manual therapy is, um, you know, an ancient art, if you want to call it that. Um, but, you know, people want to be, uh, for whatever reason, whether it's a knee whether it's loneliness, whatever, whatever you want to, <laughs> whatever you want to claim um, there, that it'll always be a demographic for that. But you so hit it on the head, the reach of telemedicine, the idea that, you know, you could connect with help a person across the globe. It's mind boggling how, you know, we didn't, we didn't learn in school anything. I mean, right. Lee, telehealth, 
wasn't no. even a mention. Was that a mention in your practice? Oh, excuse me, in your schooling? Not only was that not a mention, physical therapists did not have Instagram. When right. I was. <laughs> and you guys didn't graduate true. that much right. earlier than I did. Wow. Or maybe mm. you did, but I'm trying to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a while. <laughs> but, yeah, but even so, that five years ago, this wasn't even being discussed, physical therapist on Instagram. And now it's amazing. kind of a, it's essential to be a business owner and have an Instagram page so that you can engage with people who might want to use your product because although we are offering a service, I myself am a product. And I think what physical therapists or people trying to small business owners going down this wellness pathway need to realize is that this is so much a relationship oriented industry. And a lot of it is, well, I'm just one of thousands of physical therapists here in New York City, let alone there's got to be millions in the world. Why work with me in even in forget about New York across the whole globe? Like why choose me? So it's ultimately putting myself out there and trying to connect with individuals that will jive well with my personality and really believe that what I'm saying is going to help them. Absolutely. It's critical. I mean, relationships whatever platform it is, whether it's Instagram, whether it's a business card, whether it's, um, whether it's a previous work colleague, relationships are what drive business. I mean, we could put money into marketing. We could, you know, put a big logo, you know, you get a fancy person to do your logo, whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, I think what it, what it, you just hit it on the relationships, you know, your biggest uh, microphone or your previous patients or your current patients. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, dive, dive down the road of um, marketing and all, all types of fancy, very fancy, sophisticated ways to get clients. And essentially, it's just word of mouth, still driving business. <laughs> yeah. So this is another thing that I think it's just how we get patients. Like w with social media platforms, people just can see your posts or see your profile like it or not and then if they do like it they're going to reach out to you versus that old model of where we were trying to cater to um, doctors and get them to refer to us and i don't I, i've seen a trend online or at least on instagram where people are, are really really famous physical therapists they kind of make fun of that where like i haven't asked for a doctor's referral in like 10 years or something like that because they're so well known i think mike reinhold was one of them um but the it's interesting to me. So that I feel like that is going to change how we we grab. Again, we're we're very specific to outpatient musculoskeletal. We're not acute care. We're not inpatient rehab. We're outpatient musculoskeletal care. So things like you know hospital based physical therapy is very different. Um, but I I just think that's interesting because one has to be a little bit savvy in that. So in school we in our business class we we had like a like one or two semester business class. And we learned that in network model, we were trying to learn like two and a half patients an hour, you know, how we manage between the insurances, reimbursement and your, your PT salary, stuff like that. I feel like that's going to change um, because you're not going to be worrying about that too much. If you want to do that, um, as you were mentioning, Jordan, there, there's some PTs who don't want to do that, which is fine. I feel like the mo that, that old model is always going to be there. I don't think that's going to go away. Um, but I think what will be more popular is what's happening now with all these PTs who have this large presence on social media and are grabbing patients, clients, 
via that way. Um, it, it's it's going to be an interesting move. To build on that comment, I mean, Lee, I remember, I mean, we loved our business teacher. He was, he was awesome. a great guy. Uh, and to his defense, you know, we were focused on that, like the, the golden number and, and what, and he, he even mentioned it, you know, um, you could rub a banana on somebody's back. I don't care what the treatment is. I remember this, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. What do you do? I don't care what you do. Blank, blank, blank. So it was, um, you know, the treatment was an afterthought as um, on a lot of these practices. You know, you, you get you get a space, you get an Easton machine, you get, you know, you get the, the, the typical stuff. But the idea, the, the number one thing that's eaten away at that model is, as we mentioned, the overhead cost of the rent um, that has gone up astronomically. And reimbursement rates have gone down astronomically. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, that's a perfect disaster for those large practices to um, kind of collapse. And building on what Jordan was just mentioning, you know, this, having a nimble practice um, seems to be like that will be the trend. Now, Jordan, uh, the abstract physio is the name of your business, uh, name of your practice. You were mentioning that you're really trying to do multiple things when you approach a patient a client which is just overall wellness could you walk us through if you were to do like a first session with a patient what kind of things would you ask them about besides let's say pain yeah i i typically like to ask people first of all what they're doing for exercise i want to gauge whether exercise is an important part of their life most of my clients i would say it is and it could be a contributor as to why they come see me in the first place because if they look on, on Instagram and they see my quads when I'm squatting, they might be like, oh, this guy probably knows a thing or two about <laughs> powerlifting, so maybe I should talk to him. Yes, yeah, exactly. So my quads are probably the only thing on my body worth looking at. You get the camera angle right on the quads? <laughs> <laughs> I can't see his face, but his quads look good. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> otherwise, segueing into that, I really tried to you know, get to the root of the problem by asking, okay, well, give me a sense of, you know, when when do you go to sleep every night? What do you do for fun? Like I, I think there's only a certain number of hours in our lifetime that's not spent sleeping or working. So you really have to do things that make you feel happy. I was just read I just read a phenomenal book called Thinking Fast and Slow and it really oh, changed good. changed the way I, I view not changed the way I view things, but it put a lot in perspective about thoughts. So if you only have like a certain number of hours and you are not, it depends, like you could be happy spending time with your family or you could see family time as stress. So if family time is stressful to you, then you need to find something else that's going to offer you value. Otherwise, everything that you do in life is just going to be going through the motions and not making you happy. And we all know that when you're unhappy, there's a negative cascade in terms of a highlighted pain response and overall lack of well-being. So I really try to at least if people haven't found time because they're busy to do leisure, I, I start asking them, okay, well, let's take a look at your schedule and start breaking it down. Like where are there pockets of time for yourself? If they say there is no time, then we figure that out. If they say I can't get enough hours of sleep, well, right now is the perfect time because you're not commuting to and from work. So you can probably get a little bit more and talking about sleep habits. So if you're having trouble getting to sleep, what can you do? to improve the likelihood that you're going to sleep when you actually want to go to sleep because sleep starts when you're actually asleep, not when you're lying in bed. That doesn't count. Like mm -hmm. you have to spend time in sleep. So some people might get eight hours in bed, but sleeping for six 
it's not exactly going to help recovery, memory retention, so on and so forth. Yeah. Sure. With, uh, with those uh, markers, a lot of people, you know, within the fitness industry would call this uh, lifestyle coaching. That was a thing back in the days, um, a label. Have you encountered resistance where someone said maybe, you know, well, I came here for my knee pain. Uh, why are you asking about blank? I mean, have you encountered resistance where people are usually open to those questions? I think it's all about how you deliver the message. It's all, it, communication is the, the pillar to how, whether you're going to have a successful encounter with somebody or not. So if you phrase the question in a sense that's not, you're not asserting yourself on somebody, you're just inquiring, you're just suggesting. They might say, you know, I feel like I have that under control, but thanks for looking out. That might be the, the worst response I get from someone versus like, you know what, you're right. Maybe I could focus a little bit more on that. I don't get any resistance as well. This is not your scope of practice. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Good. People who are seeing me already know, have an idea who I am and what I'm about. So for me, it's not that difficult. Yeah, so this is great because this is something we chatted about in a previous podcast with the low-hanging fruit. It's, it's trying to address these you know, simple things that definitely affect their recovery or their condition because we're eventually going to talk about it at some point in time. Like, oh, well, I, you know, my knee hurts. Um, it's you know, affecting my sleep. All right, well, that ties into now you're not getting uh, – consistent sleep because of your knee but what is it is it a position is it an inflammatory thing is it something that um, we can mo uh, or adjust on your bedtime routine things like that it's simple things that maybe no one has ever talked to them about and then we're that point of contact that we do discuss and that will forever change how they view this whole process this recovery process because that's what we're trying to do right we're trying to teach them how to manage their condition and with that we have to be a catalyst or a, a vehicle for the information that we've learned about it and then present it in, in a, a good communicative way that they can understand and, and absorb versus if we didn't have those skills in communication, we didn't have those skills in critical thinking, then we wouldn't be able to say, oh, that's what's happening with them. Let me let them know about that and let me tell them in a way that they can understand. So I, I, I feel like this, this, these kind of things need to be heavily stressed in uh, school, which I think they're starting to to, to grab onto at least my experience when I, when Eric and I were teaching last year and last couple of years is that when we talk to the students about it, they have a little bit more of a grasp on this stuff and, and they really, um, it's not foreign to them. It's in that was, they were second year students. So I feel like it, it's starting to change there a little bit. Um, but do you feel like these are essential, like they call them soft skills, right? These, these ability to do you know, good communication. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So I feel we have to change that, right? I feel like these are the essential skills. These are like the base skills. Would you get, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of salesmanship 101 yeah, well, that no matter what product you have, the consumer wants to has to want to invest in your product. Now, with a traditional healthcare model, and I'm not saying that there aren't high quality practitioners out there, but it's very easy just to go with the flow because insurance is is covering it and you're not really thinking twice about your investment. Whereas someone like me, they, and I don't take this for granted, people are spending money for my advice. So I not only have to sell them that I'm worth more than insurance is going to provide for them. I, I have no problem taking what they expect and taking it to another level. I can 
it's all about with communication risk aversion like when you say something at a particular time you have to understand that a message can be misconstrued or it can be successful so when i talk to my clients i try to build up towards the root of the problem and then i can start asking more complex questions and really testing the waters a little bit because if i don't have them reach that aha moment of okay this is really what's bothering me i'm going to be seen as more of just the norm instead of wow this guy really gets it and i have no problem going there with my clients i the conversations i've had with my clients over the years i i don't I don't, I think people would really laugh. It could be a sitcom in itself probably, but oh yeah. <laughs> I know some of you have treated with probably looking across the room, dying and shaking your head, but it's, it's all selling the message. If you could be the most skilled practitioner in the world, but if you don't know how to sell, no one's going to be comfortable working with you. You hit it on the head. I think uh, being able to um, deliver the message, being able to pull that message back when necessary, uh, but it all comes down to that delivery. Uh, and I, unfortunately, I don't think they do focus on this and that the idea of salesmanship and physical therapy, uh, the certain mindset that kind of gets into physical therapy says, well, I don't want to sell anything. I just want to help people. And, and that's great. You want to help people. But in order to help people, you have to buy, people have to buy in to that. And uh, what you're discussing also is the, the art and the science of getting someone to self-reflect as opposed to giving them uh, a treatment. Uh, you're not giving them a treatment, you're just giving them a subject. If I have, my, I guess one of the goals that you just mentioned is getting people to be able to just reflect like, well, connect the sleep to their knee, connect um, a thought process with the neck pain, uh, whatever it is, but it, you hit it right on the head, Jordan. Well said, and you, you're, you're gonna do very well uh, when this thing pops up, when this thing clears, you, with that mindset uh, of uh, being able to communicate, putting that first, because essentially you really want to understand what what is this person, what's bothering this person. <laughs> but yeah. well said, Jordan. Thank you. Now, I was saying during this process, you, know, you talk about some of the ways I've adapted my practice. I've been receiving uh, business coaching because I want to really figure out how I can serve more people to a higher value. And one of the resistances to being a salesman in physical therapy that we talk about is this mindset that we're martyrs when we go to school, where we go, we become physical therapists because we want to serve a greater human need, which is providing healthcare to them. The problem is sometimes we feel that way to the point where like, we can't really ask people for money. That's <laughs> contradicting what we went to school for. Cause I just want to help people. I don't want to capitalize on people, but I can make the argument that in order to help people more successfully, you do need a certain amount of revenue to invest in people. So Absolutely. I think if you, if you flip the script from martyrdom to actually being a business owner and looking to grow so you can reinvest in your product so you can better serve people, I think that's one of the main lessons that I've learned uh, during the quarantine. A hundred percent. I mean, I feel like this is kind of at the backbone of what may be limiting us. I feel like the, the traditional model is kind of inching in the background for all physical therapists in the States because I wouldn't say the resistance to this idea of 
being able to say like, we need to sell, we need to be able to, to help our, help our patients and clients better. We need to also show our worth in a way that is helping them most effectively. And so that may not be just providing them a quote intervention. And this is one of the topics that we talked about in the last episode was what is an intervention intervention when it comes to physical therapy? Well, if you look at the technical details of it, it has to be some sort of physical intervention. So some sort of, um, it's not going to just be education. It's not going to just be an assessment. It's going to be, you know, our, our manual muscle test, our special test, our therapeutic exercise that we may put our hands on them our manual therapy, our ultrasound, our e-stem, and that may not be the best immediate thing for them. It may just be what you just said, which, which is communicating to them, reviewing what their daily activities are, maybe going over those uh, low-hanging fruits with them. That may be, make the biggest difference without doing, quote, any intervention. So this whole idea that we, are, well, we have to uh, just do healthcare and just do that without even touching those things, I think needs to change heavily in our, in our profession. Um, and uh, this might be an extra push, you know, this, this whole idea of, uh, sorry, this, this um, pandemic right now, it, this might be an extra push towards that. I had a question for you, Jordan. I, with, uh, with COVID, obviously the, the risk of um, disease and infections, catching COVID is a risk, right? But what about, how do we get over, I guess, the mindset of our patients and clients fear how do we instill confidence in getting people back to the clinic obviously you're not going to force anybody to get in the clinic but what are you doing to or planning to do when you do go face to face to kind of um, ease people's fears well first of all not forcing them I, I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> you gotta see me that knee is gonna just fall off no <laughs> well, you certainly have to put the ball like locus of control giving people control of their their bodies and their decision-making I think is important because at the end of the day, unless my practice is solely dependent on in-person treatment, which it's not anymore. And I can say that with certain that this is certainly, certainly illuminated the need for virtual platforms. So if a person wants to see me in person, well, then we talk about what can I do to make you feel more comfortable during the session? What do I have to take extra, sanitation measures in order to make you comfortable. I don't have to place my hands on you at all, even with gloves on, if, it, if the amount of distance between us would be compromised. Because I can be in person six feet away from somebody and still provide a slightly superior service than I would virtually. Just right. because you get real-time visual cueing right, right. of movement and, and demonstration, which I can argue to a, it gets watered down a little bit virtually, but I can be as hands-on or I can be as hands-off. And I think allowing myself the capabilities to serve a wide variety of people and their needs is what's going to carry carry people like me through. Yeah, and going back to the idea of not not focusing on um, just one income stream or one platform, one median to kind of deliver your service. It's pretty uh, pretty cool hearing how clear you are on that. Well, I also have to say, I'm getting a little bit more selective about the clients that I work with. Not to say that I don't want to help everybody, but there could be a situation where someone might not agree that, you know, if, if, if they're in person, they only want, I don't take clients that just want manual therapy. 
they can inquire and they can be excited about it, but it's not the model of delivery that I'm looking to administer anyway. So I would gladly refer them to someone else who's more manual therapy oriented if that's what they want. And then they can have a discussion about contact precautions in that regard. But at this point, I'd rather serve a client better because of my vision of how healthcare should be administered rather than to make a quick sale on somebody who just wants to come in. So I've been a little bit more selective in that regard. It's a great, what you just said of kind of being selective with your patients is going to save you a lot of time and energy. And going back to what you said about being happy, I mean, we've all been there with a um, particular client or patient that uh, feels like you're with them for eight hours and it's 10 minutes. But, um, you know, it's such a, it's a great, um, great strategy of, of picking your clients. I mean, it sounds crazy in, in this environment, you know, there's going to be a shortage of, you know, people have that perception there's going to be a shortage of, but focus on people that you connect. You'll be there. They're, they want to be helped. You want to help them as opposed to someone that wants a service that you're not really, uh, you're not into. <laughs> yeah. So this, this is something that I think we, we chatted about before, but like this whole idea like Luke briefly mentioned it um, and last time we had him on, but like, let's say for instance, virtual, a lot of um, resistance against virtual care um, has been, we can't do, you know, this manual intervention, we can't do intervention as good as we could. But I think it also has to do with um, like how we, our, our time, he mentioned that too. It's like, like it basically it's our time. Whereas let's say attorneys make a phone call, yes. they're not going to court, they're still getting paid um, for their out of court costs or whatever it may be. Um, and like, I wouldn't go to an attorney and pay him or not pay him and then him give an advice to me and not follow the advice. But it seems to be a common thing in physical therapy, at least from when I talk to other physical therapists in my own experience is like, um, does the person want to learn this, these best practices that you're trying to help them out with or they don't and it was interesting that noi i follow them on instagram they posted something recently and the uh, the caption is does the learner really want to learn i feel like that's a huge limitation when it comes to physical therapy because we might be instructing them on something that they've never heard of before or an idea like pain science for instance if they've as an adult they've never even experienced talking about nociception and sensitization and things like that. And then that might be a whole new reality. And for us to convey it, it might be even harder. So I think it's super important what you're doing, Jordan, is that, you know, making sure that you're aligning what you believe is best practice with those patients, they need to align with you. Not to say that you need to turn people away left and right, but that's whole idea. If someone calls you up, I'm sorry, texts you or DMs you and says, all I want is, is manual therapy then that's not in alignment with what you believe and also have learned scientifically to be best for individuals who might have that condition. Um, yeah, I think we, I, need, we need to do more of it. I think more physical therapists need to do more of that. Yeah, I think this, this time has been, made me realize my potential, but also going down different revenue streams. I was talking to a friend yesterday, and this might be a little bit off topic about commerce and in terms of merchandise. So. He's like, yeah, well, why don't you just, you know, have a, a Theragun on your website or something and offer that to your clients as an extra revenue stream. And I 
I told him, like, listen, I think there's a place for it, but it doesn't parallel with how I view uh, the treatment of the human body. I'd rather get people to reflect on all the internal factors that they have control over first. And then they may be using those things as an adjunct, but thinking about how to grow my business, I'm not going to try to sell people products in order to put a bandaid on, on their, on their pain or their soreness, which again, it's, it's helpful in the short term, but I want, I'm not the abstract physio because I'm putting a bandaid on people. Maybe, mm -hmm. I'm the abstract physio because I'm going to make you reconsider everything that you've ever believed or have done because I look at human performance in this sort. I mean, so I've been labeled holistic by people, but I don't think it's holistic. I think it's just evidence-based. Yeah. I, I think um, there's, it, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. Obviously we've all been home and there's, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to my thoughts. Um, but I think there's one word that comes to mind when I think majority of uh, physical therapists practice in the United States, and I think it's compromise. I, uh, that's, that's I my thought opinion. you were going to say for shizzle. <laughs> <laughs> that too, for shizzle. Um, but I feel like, you know, in the end, there's always some level of compromise, you know, whether it be like I have to compromise, um, I'm not trying to put down every prescription I've ever had from a doctor. That's not what I'm saying. But like when they say specifically, I want ultrasound specifically, they need to do this. They need to do that. Uh, versus I understand if it's like a post-surgical patient, I'm going to follow the protocol that the doctor has, but I'm talking about like a general musculoskeletal condition. So things like that. So now I have to, the doctor knows the patient knows we're going to have to do, or we're going to have to at least have a conversation about it. At, at some point about ultrasound, then we're kind of put in a position where we may have to compromise what that good model or that good best practices is and being able to implement on that patient. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like that has to be more firm in majority of PTs. If we want to move forward in our profession and we really want to get more autonomy and in, in our ability to perform best practices, I feel like we need to do less compromise and more of what you're doing, which is, you know, I, I, this is what I represent. This is how I'm going to help you. And I, I, I think it's a road that's harder and it takes longer to be at a stage where you're steady. But I think in the long, longer run, it's more sustainable and more successful. But I, it, I think people don't go down that road because it's harder. You take a little bit more damage in my yeah. opinion, because that's what I see other PTs who've been doing it for a while um, and what I've experienced. But I think it's going to work out better in the end. I don't know what, how you feel, Eric. Yeah, I think uh, what you just mentioned about, um, again, going back to picking your demographic and understanding um, when people do pay into your business, uh, excuse me, pay for you, whether that's at a network or that's a cash patient, there is a level of buy-in right then and there. And in terms of learning, um, you know, it's their money. There's, there's much more of a buy-in. The, the market you just mentioned, uh, Jordan, about, you know, the people that usually seek you out are already an active bunch. Another, another group or demographic that we want to focus in on that already sees value before they even meet you, right? Maybe that's through Instagram. Maybe that's through a friend that says, hey, he knows what's going on. He knows how to squat, whatever it is. But all too often, you know, as a new grad, you get handed a, you know, um, a prescription and 
as Lee said, you get compromised and you say, well, the doctor said this way. And then you keep going down that path. And I've been there and you kind of start losing uh, a bit of yourself. And what I mean by losing yourself there is you know that you're not getting best practice. So then there goes with the, you know, your mood might change and yada, yada, yada. And as going back to what Jordan mentioned earlier in the podcast is, you know, if you're happy, you're able to deliver a message a lot different. And um, it's a tough choice. It's a very tough choice for all of us to make. But um, in terms of being able to sustain that, there is a constant hustle mentality with that. There isn't um, a quote downtime where, you know, you're just going to kind of be relaxing. It's always, you're always missing, but your work always pays back. You know, great work always pays for itself. You do the right thing by your clients and your patients. Uh, I'm a firm believer in coming back. But again, going back to back, going back to what you were mentioning about just being in alignment um, makes for a successful practice. Is it easy? No, nothing worth pursuing is right. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you mentioned it, Jordan, that you're doing a lot of uh, complimentary stuff, which I, I think is super important that you get your, your word out there and then you're also able to make that contact with the patient. And then um, things like you're doing webinars as well. We, we did one a, a little bit together. And are you going to do more of those, you feel, in terms of um, doesn't have to be complimentary, but maybe in the future for, for paid webinars? Yeah, I definitely see that, again, as uh, another offering that I can give people. It's about creating, you know, if you, if I have a client, oh, I have, I'm doing this webinar specifically on the deadlift this week. So this might be a good adjunct to what we're talking about. Maybe you should join, invite your friends, and we could all talk about deadlifts. I have tier, not tiers, but basically milestones I wish to hit and then introduce those, those things because I'm not the only strength expert in New York or the world. So... Right now, why would people attend a webinar by me versus somebody else? I need to create an internal community first that's great enough for me to have some sort of larger reach where the webinar we did was great and we were able to reach a lot of martial artists and I hope to build on that. But again, it was like, it's a collaborative effort which worked really well, but people don't realize I spent hours reaching out to dojos and training centers, hours. To, to really try and facilitate some, some level of excitement. And I think it worked out really well, but when you go back to time and, and thinking about it as a, probably the most valuable asset we have, we can't get time back. So you have to figure out, is this a, a prudent use of my time to do a webinar? Right now, it might take a, it's gonna take a backseat to me exploring how to deliver better quality options to a larger range of people. But certainly webinars offer value and I hope to use that as a, as an adjunct to my practice. Yeah. Going, going back to your, what you just said, I mean, return on investment on your time. You just said it, it, we all have 24 hours in the day, regardless of any situation, we all have the same amount of time, but uh, in, in giving away your services, I think I do believe in, giving away services, a targeted, a very targeted approach. Uh, I wouldn't go too crazy with, uh, Lee and I have uh, spoken about this at length about discounting our services because you wouldn't, you don't go to your doctor and say, hey, you know, I'm going to probably be seeing you for a few years. Can you give me a break if I can come in just for a checkup? You know, it doesn't happen uh, or, or your lawyer or any other professional. So uh, 
spending time on stuff that doesn't give you, you know, a return is tricky. Uh, and this time, and this, this is a great opportunity to te- test the waters with a lot of things, as as you just mentioned. I mean, you just you did a few of them. You realized how much effort it was, and you, if you got one or two clients, you could do the numbers on that. But yeah, time where we put our time really will matter. And I, I personally, and this is my own opinion, but the time you spent um, creating, uh, let's say, content might might be might take twenty percent of that and make ten phone calls and have a phone calls. What's that? But uh, ten phone calls and make a connection, whether it's ten emails or just reaching out to the people that you've worked with in the past um, and or working with. That I find has a huge um, result. You know, that's where you get clients. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like keeping the consistent contact with people and making sure that um, they, you know, they know that the changes that you're going through and, and other services that you're offering. Um, Are you guys, how do you guys feel like you're reaching out to, this is a, you know, my own thing, but are you reaching, are you in constant contact, Jordan, with that network that you've been building at, at this moment during COVID? Or is it a minimize of communication with your contacts? Not only am I in regular communication with them, mm-hmm. I've started to create content that's more specific to, to particular needs. So if I have people who are strength athletes, I'm going to start creating content just for strength athletes. I have some martial artists. I'm going to start creating some content for martial artists. And because it's nice when I, I have been sending out regular emails to keep updates on what's going on with my business. And some people really liked it, but I had two, two feedback, uh, words of advice. One, I'm very wordy. If anyone knows that I, I love to write and I write pretty well for a healthcare provider. So I can be wordy and people don't want to sift through long emails, even if they're great con it's great content. But the second thing is it was too general and going back to wanting to serve a specific sub niche of the greater population. I need to speak to them. I need to let them know that I should be the guide that they choose to take them to the promised land. Cause this whole resistance of working with doctors and stuff, I want to be the captain of the ship. I'm not trying to portray myself as the greatest thing since sliced bread, but I want to guide a patient to where they want to be. And I need to portray myself as the person who has the skill set to do that. So I'm trying to be a little bit more focused with my communication with my contingent at the moment. You got a very clear plan. That sounds very detailed. It's great, man. Yeah, this is great. So, um, in terms of just any, any wrapping up thoughts with, um, with your business, where your practices and, and, where I mean, not to make like an interview question, but we talked a little bit about the future of PT, yes. but where do you fit into that? Um, where you would just keep doing what you're doing right now with combination online content, maybe some in-person visits, and then just keeping in touch with people that way. Um, how else would you say you would provide your, your services? Well, I mean, I'm in the process right now of figuring out what we call them deliverables. So what am I able to, what type of services am I able to offer people? Traditionally, it's been in person and that's it. Now I'm exploring combinations of hybrid versus strictly remote PT versus strictly in person versus eventually I want to get to a point where I can offer webinars with follow-ups, create community. Cause I think community 
is key. And I've actually realized that in my my capoeira practice right now, where and I'm sure you guys the same with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, where you go there to socialize with people. You go there to really you got you want to spar. There's a lot of you want to grapple. There's a lot of benefit to doing so, and not having that community has definitely you know taken a toll on my experience with capoeira right now. But and that's what I want to create with people. Is like even though we don't have an in-person community, let me create a community of abstract fizzies. So basically, former clients of mine, people who believe in what I'm selling, get them to communicate with one another. I'm trying to facilitate community. So no matter which methods of delivery I come up with, I want people to have a home base where they can, you know, make jokes about the corny things that I say during treatment. And I use this, the same examples to describe, you know, pain and desensitization all the time. And maybe they can joke about it, but that's cool because I want people to feel like they're a part of something. And I think that's going to eventually carry me to the point where when I do a webinar, like, these big names like Dr. Craig Liebenstein or the Movement Maestro, they'll get 300 people in an hour, but they have the they have the, the brand already, and I don't. So in yes, the you future, do. I you start- have it right now, brother. Don't say you don't. You have that. You have your brand right now. You, have- you you know what you're delivering right now is is ahead of the game with with regard to what's happening on a national level, even on a local level. So you got that. Sorry to interrupt you, bro. <laughs> Just I think. Um, I always get caught up in competing with myself. I'm not, I try not to concern myself too much with what's going on around me because A, I can't control it. I was watching the, if I, I hope everyone watched The Last Dance. It was an incredible documentary about Michael Jordan, but basically he talked about, well, how can I worry about the shot that I didn't take yet? How can I worry about missing that shot? I'm only focused on right now. So for me, yeah, I, I derive, I gain energy and inspiration from other people, but at the end of the day, I'm focused internally about you know i know that i don't have a great reach so i that's where i want to be doesn't mean i don't appreciate where i am right now but i know where i want to be and i'm going to get there but again it's it's like step by step i got to create something larger so that i can take the next step and i think um i was talking to jason the catalyst about this where and it it's kind of interesting because i don't think this analogy is going to fit anymore but It's like you build a CrossFit gym in your garage, then it gets too busy, then you buy a facility and build a CrossFit facility, and then so on and so forth. That's how you build business. But I I, I think CrossFit boxes are going to stay. I think we need those places, but that's for another podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think that what you hit on the head with the community, that's huge right now, and it's going to be so hard to get or at least to um, build back up uh, because of the lack of in-person, but I think that's such a um, an important part of getting uh, either participating in something that's going to help you health-wise or just learning something new because you have to, you endure it together. Like you mentioned for BJJ, it's a huge com- camaraderie and um, like the ability for us to go and meet up with everybody and learn together and like suffer together and get better together. It's like this Choke huge- each other. Yeah. But I think there'll be a bounce back to what you just said. I mean, community, we're, we're social beings and we've adapted to socialize in this medium. But neurochemically, we want to be next to one another. So I think there's going to be a big bounce back. I mean, regardless of um, where we are professionally, I think uh, community, as you said, Jordan, is kind of critical into developing not only a your brand, your reach and um 
Yeah. No, I, I agree with Eric. You you have your brand right now. You may not have the following that you want, but you are developing that. And again, it's it's just going to be time with keeping up with what you're doing and sustaining all all these things that you're doing and and finding what works for you, finding what may not. I think those are the most important things. Um, and just just keep going with your core values. That that's another big thing. A lot of people don't even know what their core values are. That's you know, when we when we're in school and we learn self reflection, that's where we really have to pay attention because that's gonna lead us into what we can do and offer people those core values. Cool. Yeah, I mean, you have a very clear vision of what guides you, and um, that's something that can't be taught, unfortunately. Um, but it's a critical. I think in all these during this time that we're all home, well, there's been a lot of reflection, mm-hmm. and uh, I, you know, you're in a line with a lot of things that I'm. Well, thinking of uh, in terms of how could we leverage our time? How could I spend a little more time uh, with my family and a little less time on stuff that doesn't really exist? But you have it right on, Jordan. You have a really clear vision, and that's what's critical. Put in the work. It's a grind. Stay <laughs> putting in work, man. <laughs> yeah. I miss, I really miss, I, I really, yeah. Not about that for a different podcast. But anyhow, uh, Lee, any parting remarks, sir? Yeah, I mean, I think last, I mean, the last podcast, I think it's good to make a habit. Uh, you know, Eric is usually the optimistic um, <laughs> reminder for me, but I feel like it's good. I feel like we should all maybe say some things we're appreciative of right now because these are special times. Um, if if I were to uh, actually I'm let Jordan start, if you let us know what, what, what things you're appreciative or grateful for, maybe one to three. Having something to throw my energy into has been positive. Like, I know people who are struggling to cope right now because whatever they used to do is all external and now they have to look inside themselves and find inspiration from within. I love the abstract physio. I mean, I that's with you. sort of like an, ego, <laughs> an egocentric statement, but this is my baby. I, this is me. So the fact that I have more time and energy to grow it, even though I'm going through obstacles and a learning curve, it served me incredibly well. So I'm really grateful that I have, I have that to, to work on. Awesome. I'd say I also think about having a roof over my head. I, mm-hmm. I, I actually moved into a smaller apartment during COVID and people like, how the hell did you move during a pandemic? Mm-hmm. And although it, it sucks because I'm quarantined in a smaller apartment. So in some respects, I can't really exercise as much inside and I feel you know, constrained, but I'm, I'm in control of my living situation, which a lot of people are having difficulty paying rent right now. And I'm still able to at least have some choice, have some choices about where I live and how I live. So certainly, certainly grateful for that. And I'm just grateful for the support I've been getting from people like yourselves, people. I'm part of a larger community of people getting coached in, in business you know, entrepreneurial, physical therapists, my friends, my family that really believe in the vision that I'm trying to, that I see for, for healthcare delivery, for, I'm trying to change the way people view life, view their bodies, view movement. And I'm gaining so much support. It's like this fire can't be put out right now because I'm fuel, I'm being fueled by so much positive energy. And there's going to be naysayers because, you know, everybody wanted to take down Michael Jordan. Mm. Yep. <laughs> At the end of the day, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not 
I'm nowhere near comparing myself to Michael Jordan, but it's that fire. Yeah. I got the drive and the drive isn't going anywhere. So I'm really grateful just to have a community of people that are really pushing me along. That's Very awesome, cool. man. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, for myself, I'm definitely thankful for being home with my family, definitely my daughter. She, it, it, I'll never be able to have this opportunity again because, you know, we were forced to be home these last couple of months and spending more time with her has been such a blessing. She's going through really cute stages right now. Again, like the Goldilocks zones of being an infant. And I'm definitely thankful for having a roof over my head and some choices about living. You know, my wife and I talk about it a lot and not a lot of people have these choices right now. And I'm fortunate to have something coming in where I can maintain food, maintain life, things like that. So um, I would uh, double up. I always we always piggyback behind each other, but I would say the first thing I'm very I'm grateful for is my family, my little boy. Um, as Lee said, this was an opportunity that you know none of we would have never gotten. So uh, you know the blessing and a lot of work, but I'm very thankful for having this time with my family. Choice um, throughout this whole experience. I mean, my business was shut. I haven't really worked much, and the truth is, I'm all right. You know, I'm eating. I don't have to worry about rent. You know, I'm thankful for my work, wife working. Uh, and I'm also thankful for this conversation, really. I mean, being inspired by you, Jordan, and how, you know, you've adapted uh, quite quickly. And just having this conversation with you guys, I'm thankful for this conversation, this podcast in general. It provides um, a platform for all of us to get out a message. But more importantly, it's, it's almost cathartic, you know, during this time that we're all kind of, hearing what other people are going through and, and how they're kind of staying, keeping the fire. I'm thankful for your, uh, your optimism. That's mm -hmm. what I'm thankful for. Nice. Yeah, that's great. It's, thank you again, I'm Jordan, sorry for coming I'm pointing up. through this thing. Hopefully no one's going to see my <laughs> finger. I'm pointing at you. <laughs> we edit that out, please. Uh, I'll talk, yeah, talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's hilarious. But, um, it's, all good. It's, it's, it's really, it's great to see, uh, you gentlemen. It's, I'm thankful. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we really appreciate Jordan. And, and I think that, you know, other people will benefit from hearing this stuff because uh, again, imagine being a new grad right now or just getting out of school. I mean, it's May, some schools are graduating and going out into the um, physical therapy world and trying to find a job. And, but it, I think it might be reassuring to hear some of these things where they might've already been doing what you've been talking about and, um, or they're wanting to, and they have some idea where to begin, which is pretty cool. So we're happy to we're be able to serve that platform. Cool. Add one other thing Please, before yeah. we sign off and, and going back to what Jordan said, it may be difficult what we're about to walk into when we all return back to some sense of normalcy, but I will go back to this, um, this idea of abundance. Um, although we're entering a phase economically that potentially could be larger than the Great Depression, unemployment will be up. But us gentlemen and all physical therapists, licensed physical therapists, all of us went to school. Nobody could take away our education. No, could, nobody could take away our fire. And more importantly, there is abundance out there. So it's just a matter of finding what aligns with you. But uh, there'll be plenty of uh, business to go around because we're in an industry that is needed at this time. Well, thank you again, Jordan. And um, hopefully we'll do maybe part three and uh, we can talk about where you are at that point. That'll be very cool. We'll see what the summer brings, Jordan. Yeah. By the way, 
Instagram at the abstract physio. Yes. www.theabstractphysio.com. If you want to find me, you can just search my name. You're going to see some random YouTube videos of me from college dancing salsa, but you'll also find, <laughs> That's uh, you'll great. find me pretty, pretty That's easily. Great. So definitely yeah. reach out. Uh, if you are trying to figure out where to go with your business, I can offer a little bit of insight. Or if you just want to talk to a pretty decently cool guy in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'll, I'll put all, we'll put all the links in the description. So Instagram, uh, YouTube, a uh, YouTube channel. You have your own website. You're not on Twitter, or I'm are not. You? okay, that's all right. It's Instagram is it's. I already, already, you got I already told you you're gonna funnel all of the literature for me. You are. <laughs> that's my right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I'll try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> He'll screen everything, huh? That's uh, right. I'll gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Okay. Looking forward to part three, Jordan. Yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Thank right, you, guys. sir. Signing right. off. Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 